What's up, y'all? This is Dr. Craig Walid, your host here on the Prison to Promise podcast, where I explore strategies formerly incarcerated people use to avoid returning to prison. On this episode, I'm joined by the unmistakable sister, Christy Puckett Williams. Christy serves as the Deputy Director for Engagement and Mobilization for the American Civil Liberties Union of North Carolina. She is a fierce freedom fighter who presents as a clear and articulate voice demanding freedom, justice, and equality for incarcerated, marginalized, and forgotten people. After listening to this episode, you'll be more informed and motivated to help yourself and others to become better versions of themselves. So today, yeah, I, I want to say thank you, Christy, for joining me today. No um, it's really a pleasure. You know, you and I, we met a couple of weeks back um, on an unrelated call, but I still kind of related to what we're here talking about, which is, you know, prison to promise and reentry and, you know, helping uh, or acknowledging formerly incarcerated people's success. And you are part of a series that I'm really trying to uh, do, which is focusing on the, the experiences of formerly incarcerated women um, on this podcast. So I, I like to talk to other men as well who've been incarcerated. I think that plight of formerly incarcerated as well as currently incarcerated women is um, not really recognized. And so I wanted to shine more light on that. And after talking to you and reading a bit about you on LinkedIn and a couple of other sources, I realized that you're such a dynamic person and probably a great ambassador um, for women who are coming home from prison, who are in prison. And um, I think that you uh, probably represent a great role model. And so I'd like to say to anyone that's listening, you know, um, please welcome um, this good sister, uh, Christy Puckett Williams, who is um, a lobbyist. And I think you are what the officer deputy. of- I'm the deputy director for engagement and mobilization. Oh, with the ACLU of North Carolina. Yes. So we thank go. you for having me. Absolutely. So I guess if we could just start out, Christy, you know, um, maybe you can just tell the listeners a bit about uh, yourself, your background, where you're from. Yeah, so um, I'm from North Carolina. I was born and raised in Charlotte. Um, I was my mom, dad, my two brothers. And uh, yeah, life was pretty good, but I entered in my early 20s into a relationship with someone who turned out to be very violent uh, and very dangerous. And through that trauma, I entered into substance use and addiction. And through the, the trauma uh, combined with the substance use, I found myself incarcerated. And so um, at the lowest point in my incarceration, <clears throat> excuse me, I was pregnant. I was uh, held on a $157,000 bond. And I um, had to take a plea deal to get out. I had to plead guilty uh, so that I could get out because I was receiving no prenatal care. I had been there for my most of my pregnancy, hadn't seen a doctor, hadn't had any treatment and nothing. Um, and so 
I took that plea deal when my attorney came to talk to me because he explained to me that um, if I stayed there um, and didn't and wanted to take it to trial, I could do that, um, but that I would have that baby while incarcerated and that I would be shackled to the bed while laboring. And I just decided in that moment that I didn't want my child to be born incarcerated. Uh, and so I took a plea deal. And five days later, uh, I got out. Uh, the next day after I took the plea deal, I got out. And then five days later, I um, had a set of twins. And I had no idea I was having twins. I got out on the delivery table because, again, I had no prenatal care. Um, and I just really had to figure out very quickly how I was going to not only take care of myself, uh, my child, who was already in the world. You know, I had two brand new babies to take care of, who also because of my uh, lifestyle, because of my choices, because of really the trauma uh, and the substance use uh, were fragile themselves. So I had to really figure out not only how I was going to re-enter, but how I was going to help these children enter uh, into a world that already um, really was set up for them to fail through capitalism, white supremacy, and patriarchy. Wow. That is just mind-blowing. And just to think that you've been through such a thing and now you're at a what seems like at a peak or at a high point in your life, in your career. Um, what did you do or how did you get through that period to become the person that you are today? Like who were your supports and what were some of your self messages throughout this period? Sorry, I'm in my hotel lobby, so sometimes it gets a little loud, so I hope y'all can hear me. Um, I would say that uh, it was the familial support. I had a family who, you know, loved me um, unconditionally, uh, despite my choices, despite my, uh, the things that had happened to me, despite my trauma. And they really tried to support me the best way with the, with, that they knew how. But also, I learned that advocacy for myself was the best way to go. I knew that um, what was being described on paper was so much less dynamic that what, than what was actually happening in my life. And that because of those missing details, decisions were being made for me that didn't fully address everything that I had going on. So I had to learn to speak up and to speak out. And when I heard false narratives, to confront those narratives and those incongruencies with what was actually happening and what they were saying was happening. Um, and through that, I, was, I learned that when I advocated for myself, I not only felt more powerful in that moment, but my outcomes were different. And so then I thought about, okay, well, if I can do that for myself, that's what other people need to do for themselves. Um, and so I just, you know, I don't know. I thought education was going to be not the out, but I know that I needed, there were things that I did not know how to do anymore because of trauma and addiction. And going to school helped to rewire my brain in a way that I was able to learn about trauma and addiction and substance use disorders in a way that helped me to heal. And through that healing, I then understood the connectivity between what had happened to me and the policies that allowed those things to continue to happen to me and that perpetuated, sustained, and maintained those things happening to me. And that the things that happened to me were because I was a black woman living in a capitalistic, white supremacist, Protestant-driven culture and society. And as a result of that, I began to be politicized and activated in a way that did not ask, but demanded 
that we have justice and liberation and that we were the curators and the writers and the creators and the innovators of what that liberation and freedom look like. That the people who enslaved us don't get to determine what freedom is. That the people who captured us don't get to determine what a savage is. That we get to define who we are and through that self-definition came self-empowerment. And through that self-empowerment became myself like this, this more autonomous person that walks and lives in my truth, walks and lives in my pain, but also walks and lives in the light of knowing that you can overcome, but you have to decide that you're going to overcome. And you cannot allow a system or anyone to tell you that you can't or that you won't, because I had people who told me that I won't or that I can't. My probation officer was one of the first people, and my DSS worker was one of the first people that told me I couldn't go to school because I didn't have enough clean time. I had only a couple of months clean time and the baby was brand new and I had only been out for a little while. But I enrolled in school anyway. It was on not just the dean's list, but the president's list with a 4.0 the first semester. You know what I'm saying? Graduated with honors. Went on to get a bachelor's degree and a master's degree. I started out at community college. You know what I'm saying? I, I never allowed what someone said about me to be what was true. I know that truth can change at any time. It's what Truth is what you make it. And so like I had to make my own truth because I had made my own truth of a felony, of a felon. I had made my own truth of, you know, having survived domestic violence. I had made so many other truths. I had to make these truths true. You know, that I am more than the worst things that I have done as our brother Brian Stevenson said, that I am more than the worst things that I've done in my life. Um, and so you're gonna treat me like that too. I even uh, put some respect on my neck, like, right? Like, <laughs> you know, because people try to treat you like what you've done, not like who you are. And so I have, but I'm grateful for my experiences because I understand so much more about people and I love people and my work is rooted in helping people to discover what I discover, that we are powerful and that we are beautiful and we just have to live in that no matter how hard it is. Wow, it's dynamic that you said that and much of your experience reflects some of my own experience. And one of the things that you really said that really impacted me early in, in this uh, clip was that um, through education, your brain was rewired and then you learned to address all of your trauma or some of the trauma and you were on that road to starting to recognize your truths and recognize your power. And then what you just close with, you know, which is something that also resonates with me, is this desire um, and potential to teach or enlighten other people about their own greatness, their own potential, you know. And so, again, as I think I said in the opening, I think that you are a great role model or a great figure for people to see that potential in themselves, you know, because I don't think there's anything special about any of us, really. We all have this same potential, but because of these systems that you described as white supremacist, patriarchal, um, Protestant systems that we live up under, I think they condition us, particularly those of us who've been captured, those of us who've been victimized by the system, um, to believe that we are less than and that it's only them, the quote unquote ruling class, who has the potential and the power to be brilliant, to be smart, and to be powerful. You know, so I'm just, yeah. I'm over here in goosebumps listening to you. Because I mean, you know, if, if we let people who are actually savages define what savagery is, we'll always be lost, right? And so like, um, you just have to be clear about who you are and what you want. And like, I, I wasn't always clear about what I wanted, but what I will say about education is that it did help me think critically, if nothing else. 
Like, it helps me to think critically and to analyze and investigate and interrogate and not just be satisfied with what someone told me. Um, and so I thought it was crazy to have to always have two references and citations and all. Yeah. But you can't just say stuff and it don't be true. You know what I'm saying? That's you right. Stuff and you ain't, it ain't based on nothing. And so, like, that was helpful on a subconscious level, uh, especially as it relates to my advocacy. Um, but it also, um, you know, it also created another system and structure of oppression, right? When I think about student loans and about access and about, you know, how I am denied some things based on my criminal history, that there are, there are some reliefs that are available to people, but I don't get to participate in that relief in the same way because of my criminal history. Like I was kicked out of an Airbnb not too long ago in the middle of, it, of the reservation because they ran a criminal background check and it came up that I have a criminal background. So now every six months I got to go through this thing with Airbnb of arguing with them and then it takes them like four months to reinstate it. And then I have the Airbnb for about two months and then boom, they kicked me out again. So like, oh, wow. I just, you know, I just divested from them at this point um, because, but that's the collateral consequences that people don't understand that even the deputy director of the ACLU of North Carolina's engagement and mobilization team is still being marginalized in this, in this real way, right? But I am not able to do my job the same way that my colleagues are because I have this very huge barrier um, that, that, that um, blocks me from doing it in that way. And so I think all of that informs how I show up in the world and the work in which I do. For me, it's about showing radical love to people, but especially to our most marginalized people, incarcerated people. So we bought a bus that we repurposed from the state that was a prison transport bus and we created a freedom bus. And we take the bus to the area prisons and we beep our horns and we show love. I talk to incarcerated people. I can't even tell you how many incarcerated people I talk to. I can't even remember their names. I just know their voices when they call me and their stories, what they need from it. Um, <laughs> because they just be having a lot going on and I understand it. And, but showing the love to them, uh, letting them know that you are not disappeared and disconnected, that we are very much connected to what's happening to you and that we are doing our best on this side of the wall to make sure that not only do you come home, but that when you come home, you have something to come home to. And so like, it's not just about abolishing and tearing down a system. Abolishing is also about recreating and reimagining and transforming. And so we are simultaneously dismantling by, while also building up what we want to see happen because what we know is that through connectivity, is how we stay connected to our own humanity and to each other and our collective liberation is so important that I'm not free. And Dr. Wally, you're not free as long as we got our brothers and sisters that are languishing behind the wall. We should have a measure of freedom, but we don't have true freedom because I'm not free until we are free. Right, and freedom means not just giving out from behind the wall. Freedom means not having these, these I don't structures. know, these structures and these uh, stipulations hanging over us like right. just, uh, talked about, you know, with the Airbnb, you know, if I have a criminal history, I, I should still be treated as a human being, you know. My money still spend on Right, and I'm not my worst behavior, right, that I did maybe 10, 20, 30 years ago, you know. Right. You mentioned right. something too, though, uh, uh, Christy, radical love. Can you mm -hmm. talk more about what that is? Yeah, so radical, you know, we look at the word radical. Oftentimes people conflate radical with extreme. And radical, if you look at the etymology of radical, it really is about the root. Mm. And so what is the root of love? And the root to me of love is love without the expectation of anything, or as I learned recently, that's called myot. Uh, and so having myot for yourself and for others is so important, which is 
you love without incarcerated people can't give me anything. They're incarcerated. Right. On the surface, you think they can't give you anything, mm-hmm. but they do give me stuff, but I don't mm-hmm. expect them to give me anything. Right. What they give me is hope. They give me love. Mm-hmm. Everything that I give them, they give back to me tenfold. That's and right. they just Inside. don't understand how they build and pour into me when they call and they say, I saw you on TV, I heard you on the radio, I read you in the newspaper, and you said it right. I appreciate you, Miss Chrissy. I love you, Miss Chrissy. You're doing fight, fight, fight. You know, and I think about how can I get this person out? What do I need to do? What civil rights attorney do I need to contact? You know, I, all the things in, in return. Radical love is constantly being uh, plugged in and being willing being willing i'm always willing I, I i try to take as many phone calls as i can as many requests as i can i get folks on ig twitter uh through facebook they come at and i try to answer them all because i know what it's like to be disconnected and disappeared and to feel as if no one cares about you and to feel defeated by circumstances that are oftentimes outside of your control and it makes the things that are inside of your your locus of control very difficult to manage as well because you have all these outside things that are happening. So basically you'd be like, you know what? You throw your hands up. And I know that level of frustration that so many people feel on a day-to-day basis because when I was in the belly of the beast of violence, uh, the police come into my house every day or every week because my boyfriend was violent, but then blaming me for the violence and telling me that I was making wrong decisions and choices as if I can control. If you as the police can't, Stop this man from beating me. What makes you think I can stop this man from beating me? Right, you got all these big old bags, guns, and batons, and you can't stop him. And you come every week, and he's still doing it. So like, yeah. and you come every week, and he's still doing it. So what am I supposed to do? And they like, well, just leave without understanding that leaving is the most dangerous time for a woman, and that my decisions kept me alive. Not the decisions of the district attorneys and of the the police and anyone else involved. It was me who was keeping me alive. I knew him better than they did. And rather than respect my expertise as the victim of severe violence, they treated me like um, an ignorant bother. Mm -hmm. And I was castigated and Mm -hmm. put away into a system that did not love, respect, or appreciate me. That's so many of the systems to black people, and oh, yeah. especially to black women. Yeah. And you know? then I, it, it puts me, makes me vulnerable to all the other systems. Because now there's a public health system that is vulnerable. There's a child welfare system that I'm vulnerable to, including my access to housing. Food stamps that's wrapped up in the child welfare system. Public housing is at risk. I mean, there are so many systems that are now unstable as a result of my violence and the trauma the substance use and the incarceration. And that those things destabilize all the other, you know, make all the other systems that, that could be resources to you harder to access. And so much of the last 13 years. Marginalized. Right. And so Further much of the last 13 years has been like just rebuilding and restructuring what I knew about me and what I know about my people. And what I'm not gonna let legislators do right. is legislate on behalf of my people without hearing from the people. So right. much of what they have done has been based on their own racist agenda and it has gone unanswered. And we are saying that you can have that racist agenda, but we're gonna talk about it. We're gonna talk about you. We're gonna call it out and we're gonna strategize and mobilize to defeat that racist agenda. Um, And it's a powerful room to be in, rooms, a space to be in at Jones Street at the legislature to really defeat the narrative I mean, last year we got a bill passed that banned the shackling, the very thing that caused me to have to um, plead guilty. Mm-hmm. I was able to make sure it will never happen to a pregnant woman in North Carolina, in the prisons or in the jails, 
and that if it does happen, that they now have recourse, um, mm-hmm. protection under the law to ensure that they uh, re- are able to receive compensation, retribution, whatever it is that they're looking for uh, as a result of the violation of that law. And so we've taken our pain and turned it into policy. We've taken our protest and turned it into policy. And I would say that that to me is why this is the pinnacle of my career, because all the things that were meant to destroy and to disconnect and disenfranchise me and to silence me and to sat me down have only lifted me up and lifted my people's struggle up to uh, not just a whisper anymore. Um, racial and social justice is on the consciousness of so many people now uh, as a result of our dear bo- brother uh, George Floyd and our dear sister Breonna Taylor's uh, life being snuffed out at the hands of the police, right? And so like, when I think about what does their lives mean? What do the lives of my ancestors mean? What does the lives of people who were brought here in chattel slavery mm-hmm. oftentimes shackle the way that I was shackled? Yeah. What does it mean in 2022? Yes. What does it mean? Yeah. It means that we don't accept we don't accept anything less than what's just, and we don't accept anything less than what's liberatory. Um, and so that's that's how I try to work uh, through the lens and wield the resources of this national organization that is that is oftentimes well resourced uh, and loud in the room. Uh, how do we direct that and and wield that in a way that is number one we weaponize it when we ne- when it's necessary yeah. and we use it as a shield when necessary to protect our people uh, and that's what the ACLU is it's both the weapon and a shield uh, and we are uh, using it as such. Wow, that's dope, sis. You know, and as you talk about yourself and how you've taken all of your pain and your struggle and you have turned it into you know a tool into a weapon and into a shield. It just makes me think of a proverb in uh, Bob Marley singing in one of his songs, you know, and he simply said, you know, the stone that the builder refused shall become the head cornerstone, you know? So right on to you. Uh, a question Thank for you. Thank you. Uh-huh. You're most welcome, you know? I am just so invigorated talking to you and so excited Thank about you. listening to you, you and your, you talk as you talk about your work and your story. What are some suggestions that you would give to say um other young sisters who have found mm-hmm. themselves in situations that you were once in and they need to get out of those situations and maybe find themselves and become um that powerhouse or just that person who is able to help others as well as themselves what would you share with them or what would you encourage them to do you have to be willing to live in your truth. You have to be willing to be authentic, uh, no matter how flawed or uh, traumatized that authenticity is. Uh, I am me in all spaces. And um, when I say uh, walk in my truth, it means that, yes, I was in a relationship with someone who was abusive, but I also made choices that, no, he should not have been abusing me, but I also made choices, right? And so, like, having placing the ownership of where it belongs and yes I, there was nothing i did to deserve that abuse there's nothing i did to deserve that abuse so also choices that i made to remain in that abuse and so like i had to own my part in it not my blame but my part the role that i played in my own situation and mm-hmm. it is not about blame it is about understanding my part so that I get the lesson, because if I don't get the lesson, I will continue to do the same things over and over again. So it wasn't about blame. It was about owning what I needed to own for me, 
and learning and healing from those things. And then it, that was the most powerful thing because then once I was able to forgive me on my part and what had happened to me, and I'm not talking about the domestic violence, but I mean the choices around drugs and you know the decision uh, that made me vulnerable to incarceration. I, once I was able to forgive myself, then forgiving the other people for their role was very easy. Uh, and it wasn't about forgiving so that, because some people don't always deserve your forgiveness. It wasn't even about them. It literally was about, I need this to be up off of me because this is like a sandbag laying me down and I need to flourish. And I have children uh, whose fathers are not involved in their lives. And I am not bitter and I am not mad. Let me tell you why. Because I made choices. And when you make choices, sometimes the, the, the outcome of those choices are such. And you have to be okay with the decisions that you make. And so I have learned uh, over time to um, figure out what my part is, what the lesson is, and then what do I need to do with that? And so for people who are currently going through it, what is the lesson? Sometimes our resistance to just sitting in our own mess is the reason why we are not able to thrive and to grow beyond that current mess. And I wow. had to just really get clear about my own mess. That mm-hmm. Yes, he was messed up, but who am I? If I choose messed up people, what does it say about me? And I keep choosing to mess up people. Like I can say all day that this man is doing these things and he's doing this and he's doing that, but what does it say about me? That's right, because that was acceptable. Reflection of us. Wow. And so it's so easy to look at the other person and not look at yourself. And so I was so consumed with working on him, thinking about him, what does he need? I had lost me. It was really up to me to find me and through uh, losing myself through addiction and incarceration. I had no choice when I came home and got clean, but to figure out who is Christy, what is Christy like? And and that is still a working process. There are still things that I am not good at. I have people who ask me, what do I want for dinner? And I'm like, I have no idea. And it's really difficult for me to just say, because I want this, you know? (laughs) It's just, I mean, it's just a result of some old trauma, you know? And I'm still working on lots of things, but it's being willing to acknowledge those things. It's not avoiding those things. Doing that shadow. Work, ongoing process. Oh, yeah. Uh, recovery is a, a destination. It's, it's not a destination, it's a journey. It's a journey. Yeah. yeah, so I'm on a journey of recovery, and I will never be uh, autonomous. Like, mm-hmm. I am always working on Maslow's hierarchy right. to get to autonomy. I'm yeah. never quite there. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, I'm always open to learning and to being wrong. I think that's a, another thing. I don't know everything. Mm-hmm. The things that I know, I know. Now, what I know, I know. I know about shackling. I know about crack. Mm-hmm. I know about cocaine. I know about mm-hmm. some stuff. Right. But I, what I don't know, I'm very clear. Like, I don't know nothing about that. Right. And I am clear to the people around me who do know something about it that I'm willing to learn from them. And I'm, I'm willing to engage in an equal share and exchange of information because the people who I work with, for the most part, are attorneys, whether they are litigators or people who work on policy and advocacy as attorneys. I'm working with attorneys and they speak a specific language. I'm from the street. I speak a specific language. I speak AAVE, African-American Vernacular English. And so like having to work with folks who don't have the same life experience but have a very real experience and knowledge of the system that we are all working to dismantle has been very uh, instrumental in my growth. They have helped me. I'm I am positive I have helped them expand yeah. uh, their understanding of things. And through that uh, principal struggle that we engage in, and that's what it is. It's a principal struggle because it's not always easy to uh, be with people who don't 
have the same experiences and to and to really collaborate and work towards a common goal. It's a principal struggle, and uh, through that principal struggle, I, I would say my entire team uh, we have grown as a team of learning what's important. Um, and how do we show up in meaningful and powerful ways for the people? Because that's really what this work is about. This ain't about us. This is for the people. I want people to be free. I want people to be real. These stories to be happy. I want people to thrive. Uh, and I know that I'm not even thriving because of white supremacy, capitalism, and patriarchy. Like I could be on a whole nother level of existence. I mean, it's not about rich and having a yacht and doing all this like that. It's like, nah, it's really about that my healthcare system works for every single person. That's right. That if I get sick, and I'm sure that we're going to have the health care and the coverage that we need. Absolutely. It's going to cost us an arm and a leg. That if I can't pay my mortgage because I did fall sick, that there are some things in place and some things yep. available to me and my family that we're not going to lose our housing, that I'm not living paycheck to paycheck. Right. And no matter how much your paycheck is, and this is what I have learned too, y'all, no matter how much money you oh. make, mm-hmm. the paycheck, the paycheck is still real because the more you make, the more they you take. Did, the more they take. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 ain't really? like, it ain't like you thought it was going to be. I remember the days my tax return used to be, woo. Yeah, not no more. I guess I'm praying every year and I'm going to pay nothing, right? And so like, right. It, you know, and so like understanding that abundance looks like so many different things and that innovation looks like so many different things and just being willing to redefine and reimagine because so much of what we have been taught has been laced and steeped in white supremacy patriarchy and so our lens is really dirty our lenses are dirty and we have to be willing to cleanse our lenses um and just ask and 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 anti-black yeah, we got to know they do. So, well, first step to anything is acknowledgement, right? Like, mm-hmm. I was in a 12-step program back in the day to see how you get clean. I went through a 12-step program and it said, number one, I'm powerless over my addiction. My life has become a manager, but I'm powerless over my addiction, right? And so the first step is to admit that there is an issue. Mm-hmm. And, and then I think, too, once you admit it, being committed to sitting in the pain because yeah. people don't get that. Once you start going through this work, it's going to get worse than what you're feeling right now. Yeah, because you're going through all the murky stuff that you've been ignoring and pushing to the sides, and that stuff's not mm-hmm. coming to the middle. And you know, as human beings, we don't like to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But you know, mm-hmm. once we work through it, we free. And we're I strong. still do stuff like that. I still be like, uh-uh, that's uncomfortable. I'm, just, I'm out. Mm-hmm. And I have to reorient myself and come back and say, you know, that that was my trauma response of mm-hmm. flee. And I need to sit in this. I need to address this and be open and engaging in this because through that deeper engagement um, comes deeper intimacy. And when you deepen your intimacy uh, with your comrades or with your people who are around you, um, you, you, yes, you, I don't even know what to say when you have a circle of people around you that is thriving, that is and is deeply rooted again in that radical love, which is uh, the, the love without the expectation of anything in return. Mm-hmm. Um, that is that is what is guiding my life today. Is yeah. the radical love um, to everyone, but especially to incarcerated people, because again, they are the ones. I, I can't tell you how. That's what it is to flourish. I think. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. To, to flourish is to be. Not just to thrive, but to flourish. And those are words that uh, I was having a conversation with one of my friends the other night, and they were saying how we don't use those words enough. Mm-hmm. Thrive and flourish. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't describe, describe 
Yeah, and 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 that is what truly what we need as black people. We drive the culture. This American culture is black culture. The shoes that we wear, what we say is cool is cool. The music that we say is cool. The movies we say is cool. Everything that's sold in America, it has hip hop behind it. We are the we are the thing to follow. We are the thing, right? Black people always been cool uh, in this country. Cool as shit. The best. Like Mm -hmm. the best. And everything that we do is co-opted and made to seem as if it's you know, devalued and degraded at first so that then it can then be co-opted and commodified um, and, uh, and whitewashed and, and, and packaged in a way that is acceptable to the masses. But it is, like, I remember bamboo earrings. Remember yeah. that? Yeah, absolutely. Remember that yeah. And now you got all these white women out here running around with bamboo earrings, with baby hair, all the things that's been us for forever. Wow. And here they come. Yeah, yeah. You know, now, now yeah, it's the cool thing. Yeah. So we drive the culture and just knowing that to those young women who may be listening that we are the culture. Don't let nobody make you feel bad about your hair, about your nails, about your clothes, about how you talk. Mm-hmm. You are who your you body, are uniquely. Whatever. None of that. I, and, and can't nobody, yeah, yeah. Can't the people who got to go buy nobody tell me about my life. Come on. <laughs> it's all good, sis. It's all <laughs> like, good. And yeah. I ain't mad at you if you buy nobody, but don't be talking to me about mine. Like that's, that's, right. that's it. Like if you bought your body, that's cool. I believe in bodily autonomy. Do what you want, but don't come over here judging nobody on mine. That's that's what I mean. It's like 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 being sure of who you are and being true to who you are really is you know essential to to that flourishment that you're talking about. Yeah, and so you know what I'm gathering um, ultimately from what what you were just sharing um, in one in part is anyway is that it all starts and ends with the self. You know, knowledge of self, knowing oneself, confidence in oneself. You know, knowing your direction, knowing where you came from, knowing what has informed you to be who you are, et cetera, et cetera. But it really sounds like it comes from self, but also it's important to have um, um, supports, people who are going to support you, who are on the same page, who are also um, compassionate, loving, and kind, and knowledgeable for that matter. And at the same time, one last thing I'd also um, touch on is when you talked about, you know, this willingness to um, except that you know not certain things and to be um, willingness to be wrong. You know, I think that those are big areas where growth really uh, takes place when we say, hey, I don't know, teach me. I don't know, let me learn. I am wrong, I apologize, or I am wrong, let me come back at this again. Help me out. This is where the growth happens, you know. Definitely. I mean, growth is uncomfortable. You remember when you were little and you said, mama, my legs hurt, you know, that's growing time. Yeah. Growth has always been, you know, something that is uncomfortable. When you are comfortable, that is not when you're growing and thriving. It is only when you are uncomfortable with when you are really growing and pushing yourself. And then what you see is that you weren't that bad after all. Like I am in a place that when I I almost didn't accept this job at the ACLU because imposter syndrome was real and it was like yes, it is. you know, I was like, I don't know anything about working at no ACLU. But me, am I was, smart enough or good enough? Yeah, and these are all yeah. attorneys, and here I am. No, no, I don't have no law degree. And yeah. here I am four years later, moving from organizer to campaign manager to, you know, now um, deputy director. It is just an amazing feeling to, to sit uh, and to know that my leadership is essential to our win, and we are thriving yeah. as a result of my, uh, as a result of my interaction and this work. And so, I'm really excited to continue to learn and grow in this way. Awesome. Awesome. 
you know, I want to um, I want to thank you for your time, Christy. Thank you. Thank you for, you know, really dropping some heavy jewels here, some heavy insights. And I think anybody that listens to this um, episode, um, male or female, young or old, um, should be motivated, should be encouraged. If they're not, I think they may be dead, you know, already. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, for real, for real, because, I mean, you came in um, like, I don't know, you just... I'm, I'm imagining Mike Tyson just throwing big bombs, and you were throwing some big bombs. So everything that you said hit, and it was on target. Yeah. It should rock somebody to the point where it shakes them up and make them think more about themselves and more about the, their journey. And um, yeah. anything's possible. Yeah, anything's possible. I mean, we're living proof of it, right? We are living proof. I'm telling you, I'm telling my kids that all the time. I'm living. Anything is possible. You could have told me 13 years ago. When I was on that cave, in that cave, and mm-hmm. this would be my life today. You couldn't have told yeah. me that. I'd have heard you lying. Now, what you smoking? Now, you say I get high. What you get high? That's you right. Come on. So, all <laughs> y'all that are listening, if you in that cage or if you're just coming out that cage, know that you can ride. You can be much more than you think you are. I always have told people you can evolve to become what much more than you ever imagined yourself. But That's it right. takes the work. You know? It does take the work. It takes the intentional work and I'm here to help you. So anybody that's listening, my email is kwilliams at aclu of nc.org. Hit me up. I will send, There's a link in my signature where you can always schedule time to talk to meet with me. I am always involved and engaged with the community. So that's my title, and that's what we're going to do. Yo, that's dope. And with that, let's call it a wrap, Christy. All right. If you or someone you know would like to share their story on this podcast or you'd like to leave a comment, please drop me a line at lowercase d-r-c-r-a-i-g-w-a-l-e-e-d at gmail.com. That's Dr. Craig Walid at gmail.com. Peace.